Check, check, check. Is this on? Okay. Hey, y'all. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to thank the 124 people who registered for our very first live webinar. Since we got so much great feedback about the content that we shared in that webinar, we've decided just to host an event this upcoming Saturday, July 21st. So go to the show notes right now because we only actually have room for 150 attendees, so we expect it to fill up fast. And I'll leave that link in. You can click on it. And then when you go to the Eventbrite, you will just type in free and it'll make your ticket completely free. All right, so we only have room for 150 attendees, so hurry and sign up. I'm Rod Cleef, and I'm host of the Lifetime Cashflow through Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm also an apartment investor. I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel in Chicago with some other members of our multifamily mastermind group. This event's definitely going to sell out. We've got fantastic early bird pricing right now. So don't wait. Go to multifamilybootcamp.com, and Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. If you want to learn how to do all sorts of -of out-of-the-box strategies with creative real estate, this is the place to come. And today is going to be a great day. We have Todd Dexheimer in the house with us today, actually virtually, but we'll call it in the house. Todd, say hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the time and I think we're going to have some fun. Yeah, definitely. So I met you at when we were at the best ever conference and when I was just talking to you about some of the deals you've done, you've done all sorts of creative things and I want to share a little bit of that with the audience because your out of box thinking is definitely something that other people could learn from. So with that said, you've done, you've done flips and now you're in Multifamily? Yes. Yes. I uh, talk, talk a little bit. Yeah. You were about to say it, I'm sure, but talk a little bit about the transition. Uh, what did you do and how did you get to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. So I started out doing a lot of flipping, uh, but, but even with that, with the flipping, I was always buying with the intention of, of building enough to just do multifamily. Um, and so when I was flipping, I would flip, you know, like three-ish properties and I'd buy a rental and and build my rental portfolio. When I was buying rentals, I'm buying like one to four family deals. I bought a couple of smaller apartments, but um, so that was went from 2008 through 2014 ish. Uh, I flipped, you know, around 150 ish properties, um, and then finally, I, I uh, actually part of the reason the transition happened, I, I split with my business partner. We just were needing to go different directions. And, uh, and I sat down and looked at my rentals and my flips and said, which one's making me more money with less head damage and the rentals, uh, by far beat the flips. Uh, so I decided I'm going to go the rental, uh, way. And instead of just buying single families, I'm going to buy multifamilies because they make more sense. My, four unit buildings, uh, not only do they make more money naturally, but they are a lot easier and the return on investment overall is better than the single families. So as you go up, uh, the rule should should be that it just continues to scale and and be easier and that it definitely has been. Um, So yeah, so I've transitioned now into into complete multifamily commercial uh, investing 
and uh, that was started in 2015 or 16, 2016. So I've been buying properties ever since. All right. I've got a couple questions from that. Um, we, we, we skipped a year, I think. So you said from 2008 to 2014, you flipped 150 homes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So into 2015, but 2015 oh. was kind of, well, uh, I didn't do a ton of stuff. I was, okay. I, I was doing a couple flips. Um, I don't believe I bought any rentals that year, but I was trying to transition into the multifamily. And so that okay. was, it was, uh, less productive in 2015 just because I was, I was kind of easing out of the flips and trying to get into the multi. Yeah. After 150 fix and flips, um, you would think that you, you had all your systems down and everything by then. Is that right? Um, you would think, but you always learn something new every time. You okay. Do, okay. You, know, you learn that oh, crap, you know, this doesn't work the way or okay. you know, things change consistently. So if you're not on top of the change, uh, you're going to get stuck. So prices were going up as far as, you know, contractors were charging more. I can mm -hmm. get a whole house. I was just talking to my plumber. He was at my house today, actually, because uh, I'm remodeling my bathroom at my own house. And so he was there and he was, uh, he had a young apprentice guy and I said, you know, this market's going to shift eventually. So you need to be saving your money. We we're j joking and laughing about it. And, and I said, you don't want to work for a cheap flipper. That's only going to pay you three, three grand to do an entire house. Cause he would do plumbing from like the ground up mm. for like $3,000. And now it's at least double that. Yeah. And so times change, prices go up. And if you're not being, aware of that and cognizant of what's happening, you're going to under, under budget. Okay. Well, let's talk to us a little bit about, I, I quoted you here, much more money for less headache. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there's a lot of people who have a shiny object in front of them right now these days, which would probably be fix and flips. And there's a lot of dollar signs there. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some big money that can be made into fix and flips. So when, when you're saying that you're, you found that you could make much more, quote, much more money for less headache, um, would you mind talking a little bit about how, how that is and, and maybe what, what other people are not seeing when they're looking at those fix and flips and hundred grand here and there four times a year, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So so when I say that uh, mm -hmm. flip, flipping is a lot of, there's a lot of head damage in it. And, and by that, you've got to find the property, you've got to find the contractors, you've got to get the renovation done. You've got to babysit all that stuff to make sure it's happening. And then you've got to get it marketed and sold and then closed. And then you've got to find the next one. And it, that doesn't sound too painful, but let's put it all together and try it. And then you'll see the pain involved. So it's mm -hmm. a lot more than just that, 20 second description that I gave. Um, and yes, can you make 20, 30, 40, 50? I've made over a hundred thousand on a flip. Those are great. Those don't happen very often, but you can also make one, two, 5,000 or lose 10, 20. Okay. 000. So, so everyone doesn't make money, but if you end up, let's say you do five in a year mm -hmm. and you average $20,000 on a property, that's, that's pretty decent. That's probably what you should average 15 to $20,000. But what do I got to do when I sell the property? Who do I have to pay? I don't just get all the money. Uncle Sam 
he takes, you know, 30, 35% of my money every single time I sell. Right. Okay. And he doesn't, he doesn't give me a discount for some reason. <laughs> so, so now granted I made 20 grand, but you know that you got a discount. Okay. With the rental, you don't see it day one. And that's where people get hung up is I bought this property. Maybe you did do some renovation to it, which hopefully you did some renovation to add some value. And now you can refinance or finance and have less money out of pocket. I mean, that's the best way to do it. Okay. But, but, and that's, that's how I did it. And that's why my returns were so huge. Cause I was able to refinance and pull most of my money out. And in most cases I pulled, you know, I had less than 10 grand into a property. A lot of them, it was zero. And so, the, um, so, so with that, you're getting this cash flow. And let's just call it a single family house because we're flipping a single family and now we're renting a single family. So, so hopefully you're making 300 bucks a month and then you're paying your principal down. And so that's mm -hmm. you know, another, you know, depending on where we are in the table, but another, you know, 150 to 350 to, to more mm -hmm. uh, that, of principal that's getting paid down. And then you go to sell it and you have that appreciation that hopefully you've increased the value by doing some improvements, uh, by buying it right. And in uh, the markets, you know, gone up. And then I can do two things with it. I can either sell it and take my tax hit, which is going to be, you know, long-term capital gains. So you know, whatever that is right now, 15%-ish. Okay. 15% versus 30. Or... I 1031 exchange it and do something else. And then I pay zero taxes and I get to roll that into the next property. So it's zero down and zero taxes. Zero down, zero taxes. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. Now, now I see where you're coming from. I like that. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for going through that. And for just for the listeners that might recognize your name or your voice, you've, you have uh, the Pillars of Wealth Creation podcast, right? Yes. You yes. do a couple episodes every week and- You've been on a couple other podcasts as well, is that right? Yeah, I've been on uh, I've been on a few other other podcasts, bigger pockets, and I don't know, but just just a few other ones. Yeah. Okay, so some a lot of people probably recognize you or your voice. Um, and as we talk a little bit about, thanks for letting me do a little tangent. But as we talk a little bit about you moving into rentals and and larger multifamily, you said you did your first multifamily, I think, in 2016, right? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I did a, a few prior to that, but that, that was, you know, my first next multifamily after I stopped okay. kind of flipping. Got it. Let's, can we talk about that deal just a little bit, how you structured yeah. the deal? Yeah. Yeah. So my first multifamily, uh, that I bought was in, uh, it was out of state, uh, that was out in Cincinnati and I am from Minnesota. Okay. So uh, we actually looked at a 11 unit building that this guy owned and it was on the market. And I, I said, well, I just, I don't want to just buy an 11 unit. I don't want to come into a new market with 11 unit. You got anything else? And so the, the guy actually called, the agent called the, the order and said, hey, you want to sell any of your other buildings? He said, sure, show them the 22 unit that I have. So we went and looked at this 22 unit that wasn't on the market. And I liked it. I made an offer actually on the 11 and the 22, but somebody else made an offer on the 11 that, you know, was a willing to outpay me. But on the 22, uh, he, he didn't like my offer. It was too low. And, and so then I came back and I said, cause this guy, he was, he was retired. Uh, 
just sold his contracting business and he wanted to be done with his rental properties. And he had this 11 unit, 22 unit and another uh, 20 unit, I think it was. And so I made this offer on the 22 unit. He said, no. So I came back and I, I put together an amortization schedule showing what he would get in payments if he were to give me seller financing on a, on a land contract, contract for deed. So what I ended up doing is I sent him another offer, actually for less money, by the way, for 10, I think it was 10 or $15,000 less with the amortization schedule, showing him what I would pay him in principal and interest every single month. And he came back and he said, yeah, I'll take it. So I, I gave him less money, but I gave him this contract for deed 10% down. So I, now I don't have to come to the table 25% down, which would a bank would have required me. But the, and, uh, and it was 5% interest with a five-year uh, balloon and a 25-year amortization. So, I mean, terms that a bank would have given me um, and 10% down versus 25. So it worked beautifully. Plus I have almost no closing costs, you know, because, or financing costs, because if, you know, we yeah. just had to record a mortgage and that was about it. Did, did you say 10% down? 10%, yeah. And, and you couldn't have gotten that with a bank in 2016. No way. So. No way. Great. No. I love that. So he was able to see that he would make a little bit more money that way. And like you said, a five-year balloon. So it's all paid off fairly soon, a 25-year AM and 5% interest. So all very fair. But like, uh, like we talk about sometimes on the podcast, you only know after you've asked the question. And so you took, you even went lower than the first offer, but he was able to take that because he, he had the little dollar signs when he saw that he was making some interest. Yeah. yeah overall, he, overall, even though the purchase price changed lower, uh, what was with a 5% interest, 90% carry, what was his, what did he, ha did he make a little bit more money than he would have if he, if he just sold it outright? Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, right. There's the principal payoff, but the interest that he's getting is pretty substantial, especially, you know, right away. If, if you look at the AM, AM table, right away, you're getting a lot of interest um, and very little principal payoff. So his, these first few years, he's getting paid really well. And, and the other thing is he wasn't really making any money on this. He wasn't making any money because he wasn't doing a good job managing it. Um, he had a lot of vacant units. He wasn't turning them. He didn't want to be there. So he was paying a guy that, you know, it was like the guy in the truck um, to kind of poke around and try to get these units done, but they just weren't getting done. Got and it. so he wasn't making any money. So I'm sure he saw that and goes, geez, I can make money, not do anything. And I'm, you know, in the end, I'm going to be ahead of the game. So I like that. Uh, what was the purchase price? Uh, four, I think it was four. 35, 435,000, I believe. Great. I like it. All right. So you've done, so this contract for deed, just for the audience who doesn't know what that means, could you explain a little bit about the terms on a contract for deed? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically a, a seller carried mortgage. So it's a land contract or contract for deed. So basically, uh, you know, the, the seller's placing an 
a mortgage or we're placing a mortgage on the property and, and the seller's holding the note. So it's just, it's just really their, their, you know, bank of America, mm -hmm. um, but their bank of themselves. Excellent. There's a couple other things that we talked about when we were doing the pre-interview and one of them was a 20 acre that you worked on. I'd really like to touch on that. And then, uh, and then a deal that you're working on now, we could kind of end with that. So talk to us, what did you do creatively on this 20 acres that made you some money? Yeah. So, so it was, it was actually 40 acres. Um, oh, no, that's okay. So it was 40 acres with a, with a house and the, you know, nice, nice house. But what we ended up doing is prior to closing, we split off 20 of the acres. There's your 20 acres. We split okay. off 20 of the acres prior to closing or had it all set up to be split at the closing table. Then we executed the split with a buyer in hand that bought the 20 acres. So at closing, the buyer signed the new, the buyer for that 20 acre sign. We got that all done and closed on the other 20 acres that, that my partner and I kept. And then uh, that, that allowed us basically a big down payment for this property. So now I can't remember the purchase price on it. Let's just say it was $500,000. So now instead of spending $500,000, we sold that property for, it goes right around $200,000. So we just essentially flipped that piece of property day one or before day one, um, had to bring a lot less money to the table. So it was really slick um, way to get into a property. If, if there's any way you can, you know, do anything like that where you can chunk off a piece of property or you can sell like the, um, the I, I, I've heard people doing the, um, selling the um, um, uh, timber rights mm -hmm. prior to, um, mm -hmm. stuff like that is, is really great if you can do that and get that money up front. So that really helped. Uh, then we were able to renovate the house and also then we split that property one more time and we were able to sell 10 of the acres. So now by the, by the time we sold the 20 acres and the 10 acres, we were, we had no money out of our pocket. So the purchase price must've been around 400,000. Um, so we had no money out of our pocket then. So it was all profit from there on out. Perfect. Um, talk to us a little bit before we get into this 120 unit, talk to us a little bit about when you have been buying your rentals and the way that you are able to refinance them. Um, was that something based on the time that you were holding these or did you just buy them incredibly low and did you need a specific bank to help you cash out? Yeah. So I bought them incredibly low, uh, and I, I bought everything I, I bought was a foreclosure. So, so okay. we buy, you know, we buy these foreclosures, fix them up, renovate them, throw a tenant in them and uh, do a refinance um, almost right away. And then and there was combination. We did that. Sometimes we would, I had a couple banks that would lend on the appraised value based on the appraised value. They wouldn't lend on a lot of them would lend on the purchase plus renovation uh, 80% of that or appraised value, whichever's less. I had some banks that just would say, we'll go on the appraised value after renovation. So I would get the appraiser in there that say, well, look, this thing's going to be worth $150,000 when you done and he's done. They would lend based on that 80% of that. And maybe my all in cost, a lot of times my all in cost would be like $100,000. Um, 
So then I would only take, you know, I, I, would, I never over leverage. So I would always just take a hundred thousand. If, if I go, Hey, I'm going to be all in at a hundred. I just take a hundred thousand dollars for a mortgage. And that's how I did a lot of properties. Um, I ended up, you know, for some of them didn't do that way. And then, and then would refinance, uh, just all kinds of stuff. Any way I could get into a property, um, I would get in, I would use, I would use, uh, some private money. I uh, did that quite a few times where I needed to buy the property cash, just used private money, got the thing uh, renovated, stable, got a tenant in there, and then went to a bank and got a loan and, and pulled 100% of the money back out and enough to pay the, uh, to the private lender too. I just want to touch on the acquisition on how, if you were sending letters to pre-foreclosure lists or buying at auction. How are you getting these foreclosures? You know, most of them, we did some of that, but most of them came right from the MLS, um, okay. right during the, the downturn. Uh, I also got some from wholesalers. I got some from people that just knew I was buying. So they would call us and say, hey, you want to buy this piece of property? Um, bought several that way from a guy who uh, was doing mortgages right prior to the crash, you know, was doing holding notes. Um, bought some of his distress stuff. Um, so it was either word of mouth, MLS or wholesalers were pretty much most of the deals. Got it. And being in Minnesota and purchasing a 22 unit in Cincinnati, what made you feel comfortable being so far away from your home? Um, I think just getting to know the market, getting to know the fundamentals of, of why I feel it's a strong market. Um, and then being able to build the team out there prior to, uh, getting a property purchased. Um, I just, I felt like it was, uh, I felt like it was very, very attainable and knowing really with my experience here, just, just knowing how properties are run and, what it takes, I think, uh, helped a lot. Okay, great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the property that you're working on right now. Uh, give us all the details you're able to give us while you're in the middle of negotiations and stuff. Yeah, so it's a 120 unit uh, located in uh, the USA. Good, good. <laughs> I know where that is. Yeah, uh, so it's a 120 unit building and uh, it's, you know, it's distressed. So it's, it's got uh, right around like 75% occupancy. It needs, needs work. I'll, I'll end up putting about seven, $800,000, about $700,000 into it. And uh, I, I looked, so I, I could get a bridge loan for this thing, but bridge loans, if, if anybody's done them on multifamily, they're really expensive. Hmm. And so it cost me probably $175,000 in legal fees and in closing fees and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I would be paying, you know, 8% interest um, on the loan. And there's all kinds of other fees involved too, as, as you go. Okay. And then, and then when you, when you refinance, there's more fees. So that, that would just get really expensive and I didn't want to do it. The, the deal honestly isn't that it's a good deal, but it's not fantastic to where it's like, Oh, that's a no brainer. Just do a bridge loan. Um, so I didn't want to put any more pressure on the financials. So then I went to some local banks, but local banks don't like to lend to people out of state. It's an out of state property. Local banks just, they don't want to do that. So uh, essentially that was a no. I, I potentially could have gotten a 
bank to do it, but it just, it just wasn't go, getting really anywhere. Okay. So I went to the seller and said, Hey, look, you know, this, I'd like to buy this property. It's distressed. Can't get normal financing on it. Um, I'd like you to finance it for me. And so here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do again, a, a contract for deed of land contract, mm -hmm. but we're doing an, it through an entity exchange as well. Okay. So he's selling me the entity. I'm buying his entity from him in exchange. Uh, I'll give him, you know, the, the same, same amount of money and all that kind of stuff that, that does one big advantage or a couple big, a couple advantages. One is it costs less money to do if you can execute it properly. Two is it's not going to trigger a, a sale in the eyes of the, um, mm in the eyes of the county. Yep. Essentially. Yep. So there's no taxes there. There's no change in property taxes. And right. so, so right now it looks like we're going to be able to execute it. Um, the seller is just trying to, you know, he, the seller is actually an attorney. <laughs> so this, uh, I, you know, I don't even know, actually he's, he's an attorney. So he's, he's very detail oriented. He wants to make sure everything's, going to be set up right. And we're not doing anything wrong, which is great. You know, I want to do that as well. And we've got a turn. I like, I have my own attorney drafting everything. Yeah. Uh, putting it all together. So, so if we get this together, we'll, we'll do a, a syndication on it. Uh, raise the, raise the funds for the down payment and uh, execute the stabilization. And once we're done stabilizing it, then we should be able to get Freddie Mac or, or Fannie Mae um, loan on it 30 year, you know, that type of deal. Great. Um, let me ask a couple questions then on this. So first off, the banks you said were, okay, first off, there's 800K-ish in rehab that you're going to need to do. What's the purchase price? Uh, I don't want to give too much detail away. Let's just say it's around 4 million. Okay. Do you, are you comfortable telling me what the price will be after uh, 4.8 million is stabilized? Yeah, so what it's going to be worth about? Yeah, ARV. Yeah, let's call it six, six-ish. Great. Perfect. And then on a contract for deed, it's uh, – so I, I guess I need to get a few details. Mm -hmm. You're doing a contract for deed or, or, or not specifically because you're buying the entity? Right, right. Okay, got it. And so for purchasing the entity – how are you able to do your due diligence on any liens that entity might have against it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for, first of all, there's, there's a, essentially a, a place in the purchase where we're disclosing that there's that the sellers disclosing that and basically holding harmless for that. But then, yeah, we do an, an entity search, a thorough entity search to make sure there's nothing against that entity. So that's what the attorneys are going to be for to make mm -hmm. sure that that's uh, the entities in, in good standing Great. through the state and doesn't have any judgments, liens, anything like that. On it. So we'll do a complete search of that. Okay, perfect. And so then it, does, it does add another layer because we've done the property due diligence um, already. We're completely done with that. But yeah. now we've got an entity due diligence because we're assuming their entity. So okay. that's going to be uh, an additional 30-day uh, due diligence on the entity. Okay. Okay. Got it. 
As far as when you're raising money for a syndication, it's for me, because I also do syndications, it becomes pretty straightforward when you're doing a new purchase. Can you talk to us a little bit about how it's going to work to raise funds for uh, an entity purchase? Yeah, it's essentially the same. I mean, okay. you're, you're, you have to disclose obviously what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to show the, the uh, investors that, you know, the, the LLC that the property is, is in, is in good standing, but yep. essentially it's, it's the same, you know, you're setting up a new LLC that's going to buy shares into that other LLC. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, it's pretty much no different. Okay. Got it. And um, do you, what is the raise or is that something you can't talk about? Um, well, I mean, I, I can, It'll be it'll be like one point three, one point four million somewhere on there. Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's it's somewhere in between that. Great. Okay, and then let me see if I've got anything else. Sellers and attorney due diligence, and then you're going to go into Fannie Freddie. Um, so, how long has this entity been in in place? Uh, since two thousand twelve, I believe. Okay. Great. So it has a lot of history. And yep. so if everything checks out and it passes your attorney's due diligence for that extra 30 day, when do you plan to finance it yourself with Fannie or Freddie? Yeah. So, so if everything checks out, we go forward, uh, we'd close on it, you know, essentially uh, probably like July 1st or before. Um, and then we should be able to get it stabilized within honestly within a year. Uh, but you know, I've got financing set up for longer than that just in case it takes longer. But I would say by the end of, of next summer, we should have new financing placed on it. Great. Thanks for going through that. And I think it's, it's interesting on the three deals that we've discussed so far, you're always thinking outside the box. You're always, instead of saying, Oh darn, I can't get this deal done. You're always saying, Hey, how can I get this deal done? Which is pretty much what what I hope that the audience is picking up from the interview with you is, is, is that mentality of, I want to get this done. It doesn't matter that there's some obstacles. We'll figure a way. And it looks like everything you've done so far, you've always been able to find that way. So we're going to go ahead and move into the final five. But right after these brief messages... Adam Adams has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups, and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list. Find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word MEETUP to 555-888. Text MEETUP to 555-888. Want daily interviews with real estate investors and none of the fluff? Go to bestevershow.com where Joe Fairless interviews daily real estate investors and entrepreneurs about their best advice ever. Go to bestevershow.com. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Question number one, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? If we've already talked about it, what's the most profitable creative deal you've ever done? Well, I'll give you a new one. I don't know if it's the most creative, but I'll give you a new one that we haven't really talked about. Um, Bought a a ski resort hmm. in the southern part of our state. It was a defunct ski resort that uh, my actually my business partner was walking through the woods on a property next door and ran into kind of this property and he's a deer hunter and saw a, just an amazing amount of 
sign on this property. So he went and found the property owner, started talking to him and kind of stumbled into a conversation of buying his piece of property. So we ended up working out an agreement where we bought the piece of property. At the same time, we found a bank, a lender. We convinced this lender to lend 100% financing on this property. How did you do that? It, we ended up buying it. I can't remember the exact price, but under 500000 we bought it for, and it appraised for 970000 Okay. And so the lender said, holy cow, there's, there's so much equity here. Yeah. You know, that's fine. We'll do it. So they, they <laughs> lent to us a hundred percent, um, on that deal. And, uh, and we were able to get it done, no money out of pocket, uh, and then sold it, um, just over, I think it was a year, year and a half later, uh, for some, a pretty good profit. So, uh, I think we ended up closing about 900,000. Did you do anything to the property in that year, year and a half? A little bit. We did some, uh, did some, we redid the roof. Uh, we did some siding repair to it. And then, uh, and then my, you know, business partner played on the property and, you know, did, did some little stuff on it, uh, for hunting, but that was about it. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I like that. Um, what is a book that you'd recommend for the listeners? Uh, you want a real estate book or a business book? Your choice. Well, my favorite book of all time is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I like that one a lot. Um, if you want a real estate book, I like uh, Multifamily Millions by David Lindahl. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, where were you five years ago? And then where will you be in five years? So five years ago, 2013, um, I was... Still in Minnesota, but I was flipping a lot of properties at that time. I think, uh, was it 2012 or 13, somewhere around there is when I did. Between the rentals that I essentially flipped and uh, between the flips, I think I did over 50 properties that year. Okay. So I, was, I was doing a lot. I like that. And in five years from today, what will you be doing? Five years of the day, I'll, I'll still be doing uh, the same. I'll be buying rentals. I'll be buying, hopefully, uh, larger apartments. Uh, the goal is to kind of keep in that 100-plus unit range. And so that'll be the goal is to be buying uh, you know, distressed, multi, large multifamily and uh, doing a stabilization to them and continue to build portfolio. On your stabilizations, what do you usually look for? As far as, do you, do you have a specific occupancy or vacancy rate that, that you seek out or what, well, what's your business plan usually? Yeah. So, so as far as purchasing the property, I don't look for a specific vacancy rate. I, I, I would love to have something that's 90% occupied or better. Mm -hmm. um, but as, when I call it stabilized, it's 90% or better occupancy. Um, you know, where, wherever the market's at, if the market, sub market's at 95%, then it'd be at, you know, close to 95%. I wouldn't, I'd say that's more than stable, but, uh, you know, Fannie Freddie call 90% stabilized. So mm -hmm. if, I can, if I can get there, uh, you know, then it's stabilized. If I can have my rents at or near market, um, that's kind of the goal for the property. Would you, would you look at a property that was a hundred units or more and had no occupancy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Got it. Absolutely. It's, it's a different animal, right? And so yep. you have to, again, that, that's a deal that you have to get creative with. How do you get this deal done? Because getting financing on it's difficult. Um, and then, you know, raising money is difficult because a lot of investors want profit, you know, day one. And if you can't provide them profit right away, a lot of people shy away. So you got to get creative and make sure uh, you pull the, the right strings. And, uh, but yeah, what, those are, those are fantastic deals if you can get them right, for sure. On the 350 doors that you own today, how many of those were uh, syndicated? Um, so just two properties right now that I own have been syndicated. Okay, got yeah. it. Um, Some, so I've done a couple others that we've since sold. That's great. So what I, what I like about that is just knowing that you're always thinking outside the box, whether it's syndication or owner financing, contract for deed or whatever, you just always are getting that deal done. That's great. How do you give back? Uh, a couple of ways I, I we give uh, donate uh, to our, to our church and other, you know, organizations um, try to give, you know, try to get that 10% or close to that 10%. Uh, and then uh, the other thing, and I got to get better at it, but I volunteer for an organization called um, Junior Achievement. Okay. And they basically, uh, they, they help, they help uh, youth and, and young adults learn about, you know, entrepreneurship and business and stuff like that. So, um, and then uh, I do a, um, I, I feed uh, through loaves and fishes that we just do a basically feed, feed uh, people in the community that can't afford food. And so I volunteer there as well. Um, but I need to do, be more consistent about it. I preach being consistent and persistent in everything that you do. And that's one thing that I've struggled in my giving, uh, monetarily we do well being consistent, but as far as physically being there, I think that's also very important, not just giving, your money, but giving up your time and yeah. that I need to get better at. Great. How do people find you if they want to listen to your podcast or reach out to you, join in yeah. some of your deals? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So if they want to, um, if they want to find my podcast, they can go on, you know, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, listen to your podcast and they can just uh, type in either my name or pillars of wealth, uh, creation. Um, and then if they want to get more information, you know, learn about uh, my business, um, they can go a couple of ways. They can, they can always reach me on LinkedIn, um, very reachable there on LinkedIn, or they can also, uh, they can send me an email to, um, it's Todd, T-O-D-D, at VentureDProperties.com. Um, and then uh, my, web, my webpage is VentureDProperties.com properties.com. Great. And I, I missed one thing and yeah. that was pillars of wealth creation creation. And is that.com? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You can go there too. Okay. Pillars of wealth creation.com is that website. You're on LinkedIn as Todd Dexheimer and that, which the name will be in the show notes and Todd at adventure D the letter D properties, multiple again, venture D properties will be in the show notes. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Hey, Todd, I really appreciate you coming on. Until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Absolutely. Appreciate Bye. it. Have a good day. You too. I'm Rod Cleef, and I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel in Chicago. 
Now, if you're like me and you realize you learn so much better in full immersion at a live event with no distractions and you want to do your next apartment deal, you need to text multifamily to 41411 or go to multifamilybootcamp.com right now. And Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th.